Good morning, everyone. That was, uh, that was good. You want to try again? Good morning, everyone. There we go. I'm, I'm not judging you. You know, I understand. It's, it's the beginning of a week. Uh, might be a little tired. Uh, have you noticed some nights it seems like everyone says, boy, I didn't sleep well last night. Have you noticed that? You say that at work and someone else says, yeah, I didn't either. And someone else says, me neither. I always wonder if there's like some conspiracy. Like, was that last night shorter and somehow we all, you know, that's why we suddenly are all tired. There's some conspiracy, but probably not. Probably it's just maybe something we ate. If you want to look at Matthew chapter 22, uh, we're going to start there this morning. Again, I'm grateful for the opportunity to fill in. Uh, it's always a, 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 a privilege and an honor to be asked. Um, and hopefully this morning we'll, we'll share some thoughts and we'll think together uh, as we've come to this portion of the worship service. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and now we have been directing our, 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 our voices and our hearts to God in, in song. Uh, we've prayed to Him. We have uh, sat with Him, as it were, and commemorated the death, burial, resurrection, particularly, of course, the death uh, of Jesus for our sins. Uh, and now we join with Him and we worship Him by meditating and thinking about His Word to us. Uh, and so it is but one part of our worship service, uh, and it's one that I am, as I say, uh, glad to be able to uh, participate in with all of you. So, if you are somewhat familiar with the New Testament, you are probably familiar, at least on some level, with the, the, the statement that Jesus makes here in the passage that we're looking at in Matthew 22. Uh, 34 through 40 is the, the section that we read, but of course, uh, Jesus... Uh, words are found in verses 37, 38, and 39. If you're somewhat familiar with, with, with Christianity, uh, you are probably somewhat familiar with this, this statement. If you are a Christian, uh, then there is a, a greater chance that you are familiar uh, with this statement. Uh, and if you are a member at Hoover or have been associated with Hoover for a little bit more than a year or so, then you definitely uh, are familiar with this passage, right? Remember when that was basically... Uh, the theme, um, and, and you know, we had the big banner in the back and had it on there, and we had it on a lot of the bulletin boards, and uh, people would sign their names that way, and uh, you know, there was, uh, when the doors would open, there'd be a robot voice that would say that, no, no I'm, I'm kidding, but remember that, love God, love others, change the world, right, that, that came from this passage, um, and sort of be, be a little playful, but when you think about the idea, if you're going to have sort of a theme uh, or an idea to center and that the activity of a congregation around for a year, you, you really can't do much more fundamentally, basically foundational than those ideas. That's what Jesus here says, uh, that, that these two concepts, these two ideas, are those on which the entire law and prophets depend. I think some translations said, on these two commandments hang the law and prophets. Um, sort of like, you know, you hang a picture frame, right? And that nail uh, and the, the support, perhaps the stud that's behind that, that supports that, everything that goes on on it is hung on that. And if that fails, then there's nothing to support the rest of it. So that's kind of the idea, uh, is that these two commandments are foundational. We're going to look at the second one uh, primarily uh, for a few minutes this morning. But let's read the passage again. Beginning of verse 34, so uh, Matthew says this. He says, but when, Jesus, well, excuse me, but when the Pharisees heard that he, talking about Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, not 
messed up right there. Of course, not the kind of lawyer we think about. I object, Your Honor, not that kind of lawyer, uh, but a lawyer being one that was very familiar with the law of Moses, um, that type of lawyer. Uh, so an expert. Uh, and so, so this individual, a lawyer, asks him a question to test him. Other passages don't necessarily include this, but Matthew lets us know uh, through divine inspiration uh, that the intent of this individual was to test Jesus. Now, that word test uh, doesn't necessarily carry a negative or a positive connotation. Uh, one has to look at it in context, but that's another discussion for another time. Verse 36, teacher. Notice he calls him teacher. He uses this term that, that we might would be more familiar. I mean, of course, we're, we're familiar with the term teacher, but he probably, there's a good chance, used the word rabbi. And we're familiar with that, right? A rabbi, that's, that's, that was a, that was, I wouldn't, you, just, just, you didn't just call anybody a rabbi. You know, it's not like, hey, rabbi, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, rabbi, how about you? you that's not the way that worked. That was a, a specific title uh, that had a, a, it was only given to certain people, uh, depending upon the, the, uh, the, the reputation, their knowledge, and so on. So this individual, again, whether, whether disingenuous or sincerely, I'm not going to say, I don't know, and that kind of ties into what we're talking about this morning, but he calls him teacher, and he says, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then, of course, the narrative goes on from there where the Pharisees were gathered. Jesus asked them a question, what do you think about the Christ? Who is he? Uh, and and the, 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 uh, the account goes on from there. But so these two commandments, and on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you, so you have love God, and you have love your neighbor. But each one of them has a, a, a little bit of an explanation. Now, when it comes to the love God commandment, the, the explanation, the, uh, the detail given deals with, well, how much should I love God? How, how, how much of my being should be involved in loving God? Of course, the answer is with everything, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We don't have pretty much anything other than that. Other, other statements of this passage um, say, with all, we'll, we'll sometimes add, and with all your strength. Uh, and if you throw your strength in there, then you really don't have anything else. I mean, you're talking about your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, your ability to do things. And so with this commandment to love God, the, the, the totality of our being is in view. How am I supposed to love God? With everything that you are. Then you get to the second one. Love your neighbor. And then what's, what's the, the, the extra description there? What's the extra detail given there? Well, it isn't about the, the amount of ourselves that we are to allocate to this endeavor of loving our neighbor, but rather it is telling us, giving us some idea of the way in which we are to love our neighbor. And that is, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. There's so much in this. We're only going to look at a couple of points this morning um, and, uh, and, and, and just remembering, realizing that there's so much more we could talk about. But So loving your neighbor as yourself. First of all, just as a side note, um, as human beings, we perhaps sometimes have a tendency, if we're not careful, to go to extremes. Billy Joel warned us about this many years ago, and some of you know what I'm talking about. 
uh, when I reference. That's one of my favorite songs. That's a good album. But anyway, we have a tendency to go to extremes. And much like Billy Joel, perhaps we don't know why, uh, but we do. Um, and, and, and especially um, in, in, a, in a society, in a community, there can be a tendency to react and react to the reactions and for people to go to various extremes. And so we might see people being very selfish in the world around about us, very self-interested, very self-centered, uh, as Toby Keith talked about, right? Why am I referencing songs today? It just keeps happening. Remember the Toby Keith song? We're going to talk about me. You want to talk about I. Number one, oh my, me, my. So we see people doing that. We see people it's all about themselves, right? And, and the tendency is, we know that's not right. We realize that's not right. And so the tendency might be to go to the plumb other extreme. It's like, well, you shouldn't care about yourself at all. But what does God tell us? What did God tell the Israelites in Leviticus? And what did Jesus reiterate in the New Testament? Love your neighbor as yourself. That both presupposes that I'm going to love myself, right? But it also, in a sense, implies that I ought to. If I'm, going, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, then I need to love myself because obviously I need to love my neighbor. So there's nothing wrong with being concerned about oneself. The danger, of course, is that when we put ourselves on the pedestal, Paul reminds us of the importance of esteeming others as more important than ourselves. But nonetheless, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That implies that assumes, both assumes and implies that we are going to be and ought to love ourselves. That's, that's, that's the first sort of side observation about that. But so, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now some people have, have, have looked at this, and of course you can see a similarity between this and the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is usually kind of the way that we paraphrase it. Um, and that's sort of an amalgamation of translations and whatnot, but it gets the idea across. It's not just don't do the bad things to people that you don't want to, people to do to you. That would be sort of a negative statement of the golden rule. Abstain or refrain from doing the unpleasant things that you do not want people to do to you. But Jesus states it in the positive, that what we would have people do to us, so the positive things that we want people to do to us, we need to do to other people. It is a positive statement of that. But you know, the, the golden rule has, has been attacked over the years. Are you aware of this? Some people look at the golden rule and they say, oh, now hold up there, God. Because ultimately, of course, this is coming from God, right? And some people, perhaps not believing that Jesus is the Son of God, perhaps not even believing in God in, in any sense, uh, have questioned the golden rule and said, well, now, wait a minute, that, that just doesn't, that doesn't work. It doesn't take into account various uh, circumstances. So, for example, if you are a criminal uh, and you are before a judge um, and you don't want to pay the penalty that you are obligated to pay, whether it's a fine or going to jail or whatever, you, know, you can't appeal to the, well, you could, I suppose, appeal to the golden rule to the judge. Now, judge... You don't want to put me in jail because if the roles were reversed, you wouldn't want me to put you in jail, would you? And, and, and serious philosophers have used this objection. Um, and, and again, we put it that way. It's like, well, that's, that's kind of silly. Um, but people have objected to that. Now, that, that doesn't work, right? Um, because, well, if the, if, the, if the magistrate, if the judge is applying the golden rule, then the magistrate or the judge should say, well, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't want to go to jail, so go on. You know? And by the way, here's a new car. Because who doesn't want a new car, right? It's Oprah Winfrey. 
And, and so the judge ought to do that. Well, why does the judge do that? Well, that just shows that the golden rule is defective because it doesn't take into account certain circumstances. I've heard of other people that uh, perhaps when they were younger that, that took a, a sort of a cynical, almost paradoxical or, or inverted view of the golden rule, and that is that when someone does something mean to them or something unpleasant to them, they say, well, they're probably following the golden rule, and they are doing unto others, me, what they would want others, me, to do to them. So, you know, my, my brother comes and punches me in the elbow. He, he probably wants me to punch him in the elbow, too, because that's the golden rule. And so people have looked at the golden rule, and they said, well, now, wait a minute, this, 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 this doesn't work uh, as a standard. But what's interesting is that when you think about what the golden rule does, and when you think about what this second command does, and then you think about what Jesus says, that on these two commands depend the law and the prophets, this is the foundation of those laws. Some people would say, well, well, this just means that as long as we love other people, it doesn't matter all these other details about commands and thou shalt and thou shalt not. Those things aren't as important. What matters is that we care about people. Um, and, and, and so though both of those perspectives, when we think about them, reminds us, hopefully anyway, that the idea of the golden rule and the idea of the second command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, this is not telling us specifics. This is sort of an intuitive um, way for God to remind us to not be so selfish. This doesn't actually carry specific commands with it. It simply says, if you don't want something to be done to you, and if you do want certain things to be done to you, then you probably ought to think about maybe you should treat other people that way. It's sort of like the, remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Remember those? Maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. Um, and, and that whole idea of what would Jesus do? It's a great idea. It's just like this idea of, of love your neighbor as yourself. It, it, it reminds us of the importance of what we're doing. It stops us from being so inward looking that we ignore the reality of the situation that we're in, and it hopefully motivates us to be the kinds of people that we ought to be. But WWJD is not actually a commandment with any sort of, I guess you might say, logical content. It doesn't tell me what to do. So, for example, at camp, we, we have Q&A, and, 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 and folks will ask questions, and I've had the opportunity sort of to be involved in the Q&A sessions for, for several years now. It's one of my favorite parts of camp. Um, and sometimes we'll have questions that will come up about various things that the Bible doesn't necessarily specify about. Uh, and, and you'll have some folks that will say, well, so maybe that's okay. And you'll have some folks will say it's not okay. And sometimes people say, well, what would Jesus do? But the problem is, well, we don't know what Jesus would do. We're, we're trying to figure that out. What would Jesus do gives you some idea of what you ought to do if you already know what Jesus would do. But you have to know what Jesus would do first to be able for the what would Jesus do question to sort of actually work. In the same kind of way, what does it mean to love? You see, we're told, love God and love your neighbor. But what does it mean to love somebody? Does it mean to like somebody? You ever been in a situation where you're like, I love you, but I don't like you right now? You ever been in that kind of situation? Maybe you were hungry or tired. Maybe really somebody did something you didn't like, and you still love them, and, and that love never went away but in that particular moment, you did not enjoy their company. You were not having, you know, pleasant feelings about them. But if suddenly they got, you know, I don't know, 
bitten by a dragon. I always pick something that can't happen. Um, they got bit by a dragon, and you had to take them to the doctor real quick. Suddenly, even though they've been annoying you, you're immediately like, get in the car, we got to go to the doctor and, and, and take the dragon with us so they'll know what kind of dragon bit you. You see, even though you don't like them in that moment, you still love them. Loving and liking are not the same thing. Now, hopefully we like people. Hopefully, of course, we like people. But the command to love is not a command to like. It's not a command to be in a good mood. It's not a command to be happy. Uh, you ever heard of the concept of codependency? It's the idea of sort of like, well, I can't be happy unless you're happy. Uh, and, and, and in fact, a friend of mine uh, had, had a book. It was a book from a couple of decades ago about this idea. And one chapter in the book was basically just dedicated to refuting song lyrics that teach codependency. So like, you're not anybody until somebody loves you. Remember that song? Referencing a lot of songs today. Well, the book said you should change that to something like, uh, you are somebody even if somebody doesn't realize how great you are and doesn't yet love you. It's like, that's not going to be playing well on the radio. But the whole idea was that, that we sort of sometimes get this idea uh, that, that my worth is connected to your worth or your happiness is what my happiness depends upon. But again, you can love someone even when they're not happy and you're not happy. So what does it mean to love? Of course you know that the Bible has different words. In the Greek language, there are different words that are translated as love. Now, here in Matthew 22, the word that is translated as love your neighbor as yourself and to love uh, the Lord your God is the word agapao. It's the, the highest kind of love. They, they had a word for family love. They had a word for friendship love. They had a word for romantic love. And then they had this word agape. Now, in English, we use, different, we use the word love in lots of different senses, don't we? You know, I, I love... NASA, nerd space stuff. I love potato chips. I love Liz. I love Nigel. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I love Alabama. Right? Hopefully, I use that one word in multiple different ways, right? If I love Nigel the same way I love potato chips, there's something wrong about how I feel about Nigel or how I feel about potato chips. If one of those don't work. So even though it's the same word, it carries a different idea. I love Nigel and Liz more than any other human beings on this planet, but my love for them is slightly different. I love, you know, interesting, nerdy stuff in a different sort of way. And again, you can think about all the different things that you love. You know, maybe you, maybe you love the new upholstered uh, 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 seats. I think they're pretty cozy, especially now that they've been kind of gotten broken in. Am I right? Am I the only one that's felt that? It's like at first it was like, I'm sure these will be good at some point, and now it's like, ah, this is nice, you know? Maybe, maybe, you, love the, maybe you love the new seats, the new carpet. Maybe you love the lamps. I love lamp. And so whatever it is you love, you think about the things that you love, and you realize that you're using that word in different ways, but what's the common thread? The common thread is that you value it. I value Liz and Nigel. I value NASA. I value my wheelchair and my van. And, and I value the state of Alabama. You, we value various things. So even though there's a difference in the way that we use the word, that's the commonality. So when, when God tells us to love him, God is telling us, I submit for your consideration, don't just take my word for it, but that he is telling us to value him, to consider him important. And then when he tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, he is telling us to value ourselves and to value our neighbors in the same way. 
That makes sense. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul is talking about the, the, the sort of connection between the husband and wife relationship and the Christ and his church relationship. And in verse 29 of Ephesians 5, he says that, that, that the husbands are to love their wives and that, that no one ever hates his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it. Right? So that tells us something. We're going to spend the next like four minutes, maybe not that long, making two quick points related to this idea of loving our neighbors as ourselves. Again, I have a tendency to speak too long on my intro and then the, the meat gets condensed. But here it is. I, I, I try to be kind of a, I, I need practical things. I, I need people to, okay, I mean, I, I like the interesting esoteric stuff. I'm minored in philosophy, of course, so I, I like that kind of thing. But I also like the practical stuff. And so, so we think about this idea, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, one thing that perhaps we can, can, can evaluate, uh, not evaluate, but we can look into, we can consider for a few minutes when trying to understand what that means. Because again, love your neighbor as yourself doesn't contain any content. It just tells you value your neighbor as yourself. When, when Jesus says that the whole law of prophets hang on that, I would submit to you the idea there is that, so, so this is what it's all about. The law and the prophets are all about valuing God and valuing other people. And what the law did was tell humanity how to properly express and behave, or how to properly express love, how to properly behave around people that we value. I know I've used this example before. It won't take too long on it. Don't feed babies honey. Familiar with that? Imagine you're babysitting, you've got a baby, the baby's cute, the baby's head's disproportionately large compared to the rest of the baby's body, the baby's eyes are disproportionately large compared to the rest of the baby's face. And so the baby's cute and adorable, and you want to do something nice for the baby, and so you want to give the baby a snack, and so you, you go to the pantry and you see your Brussels sprouts, and you're like, no. Although they're pretty good, actually, I've discovered, but not for the baby. Uh, and you look at, uh, you look at maybe some, uh, some cabbage, and you say, no, definitely not. And then you see honey, and you're like, well, the baby doesn't have teeth, this is good for people without teeth, it's sweet, tastes good, and give the baby honey. Don't give the baby honey. Why? Botulism. It's not good for babies. They, they, they need to develop a little bit before they can digest honey properly. So you love the baby, but that doesn't mean that your expression of love is actually the sort of thing that is conducive to the baby's well-being. And so when God tells us to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves, he's saying value him and value our neighbors as we value ourselves. But then how do I express that value? If I value something, what am I going to want? I'm going to want that thing to, to, uh, to consist or to, to persist through time. I want to take care of it. I want it to endure. I want it to be around. And so I'm going to take care of it. And so I value God, I value others. How do I do that? How do I show that value by doing what is in their best interest? Well, what is in their best interest? And that's where the rest of God's commands fall into place. Here's how we show love. If we really value someone, here's what we're going to do in our, our treatment of them. It's very quickly. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Here's the question. I was going to spend a lot more time on this, but oh well. How do we love ourselves? God is giving us an insight that says when you are going to treat other people, you need to stop and think about how you treat yourself and use that as a model for how you treat other people. Now, we might improperly love ourselves. So again, this is not an absolute command. Maybe we hate ourselves. We don't love ourselves as we ought to, and we ought not treat other people the way that we treat ourselves. 
It's not infallible. It's a guide. It's, it's an intuitive suggestion. The command is real. We must love others. But this idea of as ourselves reminds us. Again, the law and the prophets tell us specifically what that means. But so how do I love myself? How do you love yourself? How do we as human beings typically value ourselves in ways that we might not naturally value other people? Two quick points. Really quick points. The first one we've already sort of alluded to. And that is this idea of simply cherishing, of, of desiring for whatever is in a, uh, the other person's best interest. If I like my wheelchair, I'm going to take care of my wheelchair because I want my wheelchair to endure so I can continue to use it. If I love someone and, and thus I value them, I'm going to want them to continue and so I'm going to do things that are in their best interest. I'm going to cherish them. Again, another song. Remember that song, Cherish is the Word I Used to Describe? Some of you know. And in your head you're going, ah, but you're not going to admit it. That, I love that song. Partially it was in my, my mom and my stepdad's wedding, but it, it, it sort of brings that connection between the idea of love and the idea of value, which is really what that idea of love is about. It's cherishing. It's considering important. But so that's that first point. Let's talk about the second point for just a couple of minutes. And that is this, that if you're familiar with psychology, perhaps you've heard of this, and, and I'm, I'm a moderate in psychology, but it was many moons ago, it was decades ago, I've forgotten a whole bunch of stuff since then, and I never really knew a whole lot to begin with, so take this as a grain of salt from a layperson. But maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't heard of it, but here it is. There's this neat thing that psychologists call the fundamental attribution error. That's a big mouthful, isn't it? The fundamental attribution error. What does that mean? Well, the, the argument is this is a thing that humans tend to do. And I'm just going to read sort of the example or, or the, the definition. We'll talk about it for a second. It is the concept that in contrast to interpretations of their own behavior, people tend to unduly emphasize someone else's internal characteristics, their character or intention, rather than external factors in explaining other people's behavior. Put another way, when we look at our own behavior, we take into account the circumstances that we're in, maybe the unusual circumstances that we're in. But when we look at other people's behavior, if we're not careful, we just ascribe that behavior to, well, that's the kind of person they are. Does that sound familiar? Is that something that you can relate to? I'll give you an example. I know I've used this before. You're driving down the road. You're going to merge onto the interstate. And you're trying to get over. You've got your blinker on. You're doing what the law says to do and everything. And the person that's in the lane right there that you need to get into won't get over. And what do you think about that person? What a selfish individual that is. Maybe you use other words than individual. You know, that jerk. You know, he won't get over, she won't get over. That's because they're selfish. That's all they care about is them and getting where they're going. Go fast, hurry, Mr. Important. I know, wouldn't want to inconvenience you by having to have you get over one lane so I can get over so I don't, you know, run into the ditch here. Have you ever been in a situation where you're driving down the road and you're in the right lane and someone's trying to merge and you didn't realize or didn't pay attention and then suddenly at some point notice they're trying to get over and I'm in their way? Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. But I, I've been in both situations. Now, now, when I'm the person that is in the road, that's in the way, oh, well, I, I was busy. I was thinking about something really important. I was late for work, or I just got distracted. See, it's because this was a deviation. This bad thing that I did is a deviation from whom I, who I am. It's an anomaly. But then when someone else does it, it's who they are. That's just deep down to the core. That's who they are. 
Remember in several of the Gospels, as Jesus is about, he's in, it's the, the Passion Week as it's called, and, and he is in the house of Lazarus, and, and the woman anoints him, Mary anoints him with oil. You remember what is said by the disciples? If you look at both John and Matthew, it's, it's clear that, John, that, that Judas sort of got it going, but according to Matthew, it seems that the other disciples joined in. Remember this? They said, well, now, 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 wait a minute. She shouldn't be doing this. She should do with what with that money? Or with that, that oil? Remember that? Fragrances. Go sell it to the poor. Is that? Now, 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 uh, what's his name? John tells us very clearly, Judas didn't really care about the poor. He was just doing it because he was a thief. But perhaps the other disciples did care about the poor. Oh, now, now look at that. You, you, that money that you're spending on X, you could have given that to the poor. Why didn't you? Because you hate the poor. What about that thing that you got that you don't have to have? See that? See, that, that, that's the sort of thing that can happen even with good intentions where, well, I wouldn't spend that money on that because I love people more than they love people. But then I look at myself and I say, well, but I could have not spent the money on that. I could have given it to the poor. That, that's, well, but it's different. That's the idea, but it's different. When we think about loving our neighbor as ourselves, part of the idea of that is that given that this seems to be a reality with many of us as, as people, is that basically give others the benefit of the doubt. You make mistakes, they make mistakes, I make mistakes, we all make mistakes. Some of those mistakes are part of our character. They are part of who we are. And some of those things are connected to circumstances that are fleeting and that in other cases might have been different. There's so much more that we can say, uh, but in the interest of time, we'll leave it at that idea. To love our neighbor as ourselves implies, amongst many other things, this idea that we are going to give people the benefit of the doubt, that we are going to, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When somebody does something that doesn't make sense to us, we don't have to assume, well, they're a bad person, or they're not smart, or they don't care. Perhaps there are circumstances that we're not aware of. We want people to do that for us, to be understanding for us. The command to love our neighbor as ourselves includes that idea. Now, this hasn't really been a, an evangelical sermon in the sense of, 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 the, of, of a sermon that is focused on the good news of the gospel. But nonetheless, we always want to offer the Lord's invitation. It's always open, but this is a convenient opportunity to be able to think about our relationship with God. Am I loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Have I never become a Christian? If you, this morning desire to become a child of God, to become a Christian, uh, then you can, through believing in Him, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him, and being immersed in water baptized, have your sins washed away. We'd love to help you with that. If, as a Christian, you're not living as you ought to and you need to make a change, make the change. Maybe we need to know about it, maybe we don't. If we need to know about it and you want to come forward, you want to ask for prayers of strength or forgiveness, any way that we can help, please let us know. If, if there is no, if, if it's between you and God, let it be between you and God. But if there's any way that we can help right now, please let us know how we can help as you stand and we sing.